We're in Genesis very early. It's the beginning. Uh, you can't talk about the beginning without the end. And now we have a brother who's there. Uh, there's hope. And just want to remind you that the God that he now sees is the one who gave these words. Hear now the word of God from Genesis 2, verses 18 through 25. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. Thanks, Susan. If you were a kid and you're kindergarten through third grade, you can go right in here, and there's a special, even better kids version of church going on in there um, that you definitely don't want to miss out on. The rest of us have to be out here, so let us know how it is. Uh, we have worship training right in here, and so the kids uh, have worship, and uh, they go deeper into each of the elements of the worship service to kind of understand what they all are. But I want a high five from everybody as they go by. If it's trained children at a young age that it's okay to hit the pastor. Um, they need to know that. Um, my name is Chris Horn. I'm one of the pastors here at Redeemer. It's so good to be with you. Um, thank you for being here, especially if this is your first time or one of your first times worshiping with us. We're so grateful um, to be together with you. Um, I'm actually going to keep that. So a, few, uh, a couple years ago, um, when our family was uh, considering coming here to Winston and working here at Redeemer, uh, we, we had um, worked in campus ministry and raised money and filled pulpits and all this stuff. So my kids had probably been to like 50 or 60 churches in their young lives. And so we said, hey, we're thinking about going to Redeemer. 
and uh, that being our church. And so they were like, what, which church is Redeemer again? Um, there are so many, they literally all run together and they're very similar. And, um, and we said simply, it's the church with the flowers. And they were like, oh yeah, I like that one. And, um, you know, those, those flowers are from our brother, John, um, who cultivated this space into, which is a very, you know, it's like in a neighborhood, it's very, you know, it's a school, but he cultivated this space into a wild space. And um, so we honor him today. Some of his flowers are here. And uh, in the last couple of days as I've walked around at Redeemer, just walking around, especially the spot if you walk in front of the building here and then the sidewalk kind of goes up to the parking lot, there's this amazing spot where you can walk through flowers. And I've just spent some time um, in John's flowers. It's really easy to see his heart just in the flowers, you know, and just sitting there and just examining them and contemplating them. You can see his heart and you can see his imagination, which is amazing. Um, and so what I, what I want to do really just with this passage, which takes place in a garden, is just for us to sit with some of the beautiful flowers that are in this passage and um, so that we can see God's heart. So I'm not bringing you a sermon that it's like this crafted thing that you're going to walk away with. But what I'm inviting you to, and I think what God's inviting us to, and this is so, I've been in so many devotions where John was the leader of the devotion. God invites us just to sit in this and to see his heart and see his imagination in this amazing passage. So here's a few of the flowers as we walk through right at the beginning of the passage, which is in your bulletin if you want to look at it. Um, the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. Now, when it says the man, that means the, the human. The, the word, the name Adam just means human, human being. And that this single human was there and that it wasn't good. God made something that he knew was not good. It was not good for this individual human to be alone. Why would he do that? I mean, you got to think about what, what this human, the Adam, Adam, what his what his situation was like. If you've ever seen The Sandlot, which I hope you all have, there's a scene in which Squints, who's this little scrawny kid, he's in love with Wendy Peppercorn, who is the, uh, the much older lifeguard at the community pool. Maybe that's been some of you. Maybe you've fallen in love with the lifeguard. And uh, he has no way of getting Wendy's attention. So what he does is he jumps off the diving board into the deep end and he can't swim. And so he goes to the bottom of the deep end and of course Wendy has to dive in. This basically grown woman dives in, she pulls him out of the pool and she administers CPR, mouth to mouth. <laughs> and he opens his eyes, all his friends are gathered around, he looks over and he winks, you know? <laughs> and as she's giving him CPR, he, he, he grabs her and he just starts kissing her. And this magic moment starts playing, you know, in that. And um, it's a great scene, you know, it's just Squints and Wendy Peppercorn face to face, mouth to mouth. And that was really 
Adam's experience with God. That like God had made him and it was just the only thing that he beheld was God's face, whatever that means. And God had literally given him mouth to mouth, had breathed the breath of life into his lungs. I mean, maybe you think like if it was just, if I could just be me and God, it would be right. And what God's saying is that it's not good. What Adam is experiencing was not good. Why would God do it this way? Why would he intentionally make one human being and it not be good? And then go through this long litany. He brings all these animals. Maybe we'll find someone that can go along with Adam here. And of course, they're not going to. He brings all these long animals and all that. Why would God do that? And this is the kind of stuff, I don't know how you feel about the Bible. This is the kind of stuff that I absolutely love the Bible for. Because the Bible loves to tell stories that get down into like the deepest parts of our longings as, as humans. We love stories where the person is longing for something and it turns out that's who they really are. You've seen Moana, she wants to be out on the sea as a voyager, but she's stuck on this island, but then she finds out that her people are actually voyagers and they've been hiding it, right? Harry longs to be special and be, not be despised and be able to be powerful and not be this unwanted child under the stairs. And he finds out that his parents loved him and died protecting him. And he's the most famous wizard in the world. We love stories where what we long for is actually who it is that turns out who we really are. And the story of scripture is better than all of Ancestry.com or your grandmama for telling you who you really are. And is this, God made us to long. God created a human being and put him in a situation that was not good so that he would learn to long for something, to be one who longs. That's what God is cultivating in us. If you long, then you are human. Don't deny it. So what was he longing for? This is another one of the flowers for us to explore what was this human longing for? Pasha says, for a helper fit for him. Now, anything when it gets translated into another language, you have to make decisions on what the words mean in the other language. In Hebrew, the word here is ezer. I, I hate being the person that's like, I'm going to tell you about a language that I've learned that you, don't, you haven't learned yet. Um, but it's helpful here because the word ezer is translated helper, and it kind of means that, but it really means someone that helps you by rescuing you or delivering you. Uh, it's only ever used in the Bible as a title for God. God is the ezer in the Old Testament. So if you know that psalm that's like, I lift my eyes to the hills, where does my help come from? My help is in the Lord God who made heaven and earth. That is the ezer. That the, the ezer that I'm looking for, my ezer is the Lord God. So God's saying that he's longing for an ezer, a rescuer, a deliverer that is like him, that is apart from him, but literally facing him. What we would, the, the, the word that we would use would be a counterpart, one that goes with me, one that corresponds to me. The other day I was waiting in the barbershop, as you do, and I was reading Esquire magazine, which I would only ever read in the barbershop, but it was kind of cool. There was a write-up on Owen Wilson. 
if in case you're curious. And there was this article about the search for intelligent life in space. It was fascinating. All this great stuff about Carl Sagan, just kind of arguing that even if we had met aliens, would we even know to experience them? It was like mind-blowing stuff. But there was this really funny comment that someone made that like, if we discovered a planet that had life on it, but it was covered with ladybugs, or if we discovered a planet that was full of whales, that would be awesome. But it wouldn't really be what we're looking for when we look for life on another planet. What we're looking for is something that is like us, that will correspond to us. The itch that each of us have is for someone to correspond to us, a deep friend, a lover, a collaborator in life. So what God does is he splits the one human into two. He takes part of that human away and fashions that bit into another who is different but the same, made from the same stuff, corresponding to. In all these other ancient uh, creation tales, men and women are actually made from different materials, and you can guess which is made from the lesser material if you're a student of history. But in this passage, they're made from the same thing. She is made out, made from the same stuff, and she corresponds to him. And then Adam sings a song. And it's no wonder this is the thing that God has been making him long for. And he sang a song that Etta James later made famous. At last, my love has come along. It's pretty much literally what he says. This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. He's like someone who has been walking for miles and miles and miles when his car broke down and hasn't seen a human being for miles and finally sees someone. He's like if you've ever traveled to another country and they don't speak your native language there, like let's say it's English and you're traveling in another country and you spend hours and hours until you find someone that speaks English and you're like, at last, Someone that speaks my language, someone who can help me. We long for someone to correspond to us. And that person isn't just God. We long for a lover, again, a deep friend, a collaborator, a sister or a brother. And what God is telling us in this passage is that we are only truly good. We're only truly human when we are together when we are human beings together, experiencing that correspondence in others. Now, the person that's writing this uh, account gets really excited at this moment because they start to realize, oh, this is why human beings work the way they do. He makes this little sidebar comment in verse 25. This is another one of the flowers that we see God's heart, we see God's creativity, his imagination in Right there in verse 24. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. What the writer is saying is that human beings, this is why it makes sense of how we work. Human beings are like kaleidoscopes. You ever look through a kaleidoscope, and as you turn it and look into the light, it goes from being one of something to being a bunch of that thing, and then it goes back into being one of that thing, and then it goes back into being a bunch of that thing, and they interplay, and it's beautiful. Humans are like a mini. 
and then they join together and become a one. And then from the one comes another. And then eventually that one starts to experience a longing and it breaks apart from the, from the family and goes out and finds another and joins itself to the other. And what the person is saying is this is just like God. Father, Son, Spirit, one God, many and one, that we are imaging God in that way. When you are a one and a many together, you are being good. And then the last flower for us is there in verse 25. And this is where it starts to unravel for me. I don't know about you. The man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Somebody, when they walked in today, said the church feels naked because they didn't have a tent. I was like, what if the church was naked? And, uh, and then we were both like, man, that'd be crazy, you know? <laughs> um, because it's like you can't even really imagine that that would, could happen. I'm not saying it should happen currently. <laughs> Just to be clear, my record's pretty clear on wearing clothes at church. Um, but this is where I kind of, when I'm realizing this, I'm like, this is really just kind of a daydream. Like, you, are you ever, like, dreaming with someone about taking a trip that you're going to go on together, maybe? Or, like, starting a business, and you get all wrapped up in, like, how awesome it could be? And then you're like, yeah, but it's not going to happen, so, you know. And you walk away, and you protect yourself from trying. This is where God invites us into longing. Because what's happening is this passage is telling us that shame is not inherent to being human. That you can be a human being and be completely exposed before another human being and not recoil. That two people stood before one another completely exposed and they felt great about it. Can you imagine that? I can imagine a lot of things, but I don't think I can imagine that. It's too, it's too good to be true. And it's right in that space where we start to say, it's too good to be true, so I have to deny it or distract myself from the longing that God says, no. That is where I want you to long. God invites us into longing for an ezer that is fit for us. Eve shows us Jesus. Because in Jesus, God provides that Ezra, that rescuer, that deliverer. He left his father. He split that union in some mysterious way to hold fast to us, to be joined to his people. And he perfectly corresponded to us that if we had had the eyes to see him, we would have said, at last, my love has come along. This is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. But we completely missed it. And we rejected him. And Jesus, our Ezer, went in deep longing and deep loneliness to the cross, the tree of death. And what's crazy about Jesus going to the cross, I remember it blowing my mind the first time I was thinking about the crucifixion. I was like, he wasn't just being tortured and dying, he was naked. 
he was naked at the cross and unashamed. Nothing to be ashamed of in his body, which God had made good. But he was covered in our shame. Are you, are you able to be naked and unashamed? The answer is no. Okay. We can deny our longings and distract ourselves from our shame, but what Jesus offers and the absurdity of the, the offer of the gospel is to remove your shame. He comes before us and says, I t- will take that shame to hell. And when he rose from the dead, he left it there. He's the only one that can remove shame. Nobody else is even offering to remove shame. And people might help you deal with it or distract yourself from it, but no one is offering to remove shame for us. He's the only one who can. And you know what it sounds like for Jesus when he stands before his beloved that he has removed all our shame from. Before you and me, if we are joined to him, he looks right up in our face and says, at last, my love has come along. My lonely days are over. And life is like a song. Do you know him? Um, Let's take a moment to pray, and whatever God has, has given to us, revealed to us, ways that he has shown us his heart, shown us his imagination through this passage, just to take a moment to praise him for it. Let's pray. Lord, we hunger, though all that we eat brings us little relief. We don't know quite what else to do. We have all our beliefs, but we don't want our beliefs. God of peace, we want you. Lord, we offer to you now in joy the one who sings over us, our Ezer, the one that corresponds to us, the one who left his father to come here to rescue us, to do what we couldn't do, Lord, we offer you praise for your heart and for your imagination. Bring them before our eyes now like flowers that we could return them to you as your beloved. Lord, grant us the faith by your grace to long to stand before you naked, unashamed, and stand before one another naked and unashamed, the one and the many together with you forever. Help us to long for it, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.